0: We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. Have you ever heard someone cry out, good Lord? Yeah? So Joel's follow me. Or how about just somebody randomly, you know, something happens and they say, oh God! You know? Um, are they yelling? Are they calling out for Jesus? Let's just put this in context here. Is that person truly calling out for Jesus to be there with them in that moment, do you think? No, no. Probably not. Are they looking for divine intervention as they stub that pinky toe on the corner of the bed as they're walking in the dark at night to use the restroom and they cry out, Good Lord! No, they're not looking for divine intervention within that moment. My mom, she used to work at Eckerd's for many, many years, and uh, before it was purchased by CBS. And there was a woman there that loved to take the Lord's name in vain. Her name was Karen, and it's not because of today that name associated Karen it has nothing to do with that. Her name was actually Karen. Okay, so a real Karen. Okay. And she loved to just yell out at random times, GD. She just loved to do that. That was her favorite saying. Or she would just say, Jesus Christ, for anything that was taking place. For just about everything that went wrong, it was a constant GD or Jesus Christ. Or she liked to say, Jesus H. Christ. His middle name isn't Henry, so I don't know where she was getting the H from. But well, one day my mom got fed up and she decided that she was going to show this lady the, the error of her ways and uh, do it in a, in a roundabout way. And my mom's very clever, especially when she gets things in her mind. And so one day she was, my mom was working and, and she made a mistake in her typing. She's there at the computer, she's typing, and she went, Karen, dang it! And the lady looked at her, and she goes, what, Nancy? And She looked at her, nothing. <laughs> Starts hitting the back button. Later on, it happened again, and my mom yelled out, and, and the lady looked at her. It's funny, just not really putting two and two together yet, until later on, the lady pulled one of her Jesus Christ moments, and my mom said, where? I want him to take me home already. And she goes, oh, I got you, Nancy. And my mom said, listen, if you don't know him, please stop using his name. And they, she laughed, Karen laughed, and she said okay. And they came to an agreement. Now this is an extreme example, right? But in it we can see that everyday people use his name but do not know him right? People will use God's name and even do things in God's name, but they do not know him. How many times are you in the store and you sneeze and somebody says, God bless you, but we don't know if they're a believer in truly calling for God to bless us in that moment or if it's written within them to go ahead and say that within that moment. Everyday people use His name but do not know Him. They use it to curse. They use it to bless after a sneeze. And some even pray in His name, but have no personal relationship with Him or have asked Him to be their Savior. I've heard people say, in Jesus' name. In fact, not too recently, our Senate, they went ahead and they prayed in God's name a man and a-woman, right? I don't know what the a-woman was. But I would assure you that most of the Senators and most of the House have no connection with the saving faith of Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, a lot of people use it just for political gains. In fact, Mahatma Gandhi, he was a devout Hindu, ...said one of the greatest impacts on his own personal life... ...and spiritual journey... ...was Jesus, and particularly what we've been studying... ...the Sermon on the Mount. He said it fed into his understanding of fasting. It fed into his understanding of prayer. It fed into his understanding of what it means to love your enemy. In fact, he's quoted as saying, a man who is completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and he became a ransom for the world. That, it was a perfect act. That's a quote from Mahatma Gandhi. But this by no means suggests that Gandhi was a Christian. He hadn't put his faith... In Jesus Christ as his Savior. He didn't believe what Jesus said by saying that he takes away the sins of the world. Even though Mahatma Gandhi had followed Jesus' instruction on prayer, followed Jesus' instruction on fasting, followed Jesus' instruction on turning the other cheek, that doesn't make him a believer, does it? No. Just because he followed Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount does not make him saved. What makes someone saved? Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You have to put your trust in the atoning work of Jesus believe that he died on the cross like he said he would for all the sins that you ever would sin and ever would think and ever would do, that he paid the price with his life, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the grave, conquering our sin and our death. Jesus spoke of people that would do things like Mahatma Gandhi, They would claim Jesus. They would claim to be on the same plateau of Jesus. They would would claim to follow Jesus in his teaching, but they would not know Jesus intimately as Savior. Jesus tells us of these people in Matthew chapter 7. Turn there with me. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 24. Matthew 7, 21 to 24. These are the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount as he's speaking to his disciples. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears my words of mine and acts on them may be compared to the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And we'll stop there. Let me ask you, when Bill Gates gives a check just the mention of that guy's name, it makes people laugh. But when Bill Gates gives a check, you know, he gives one of those big checks and he makes this big statement and, and you know, I'm giving a million dollars to this foundation and usually it's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but whatever, we'll go ahead and say it's a good act indeed. Is he fulfilling the righteousness of God within that moment? Or is he boasting on his own righteous act? And you see, what Jesus is getting to is people that go ahead and proclaim that they've done things that were good. Yes, they did do things that were good, but they didn't do it in the righteousness of Christ. In fact, they didn't do it clothed in the righteousness of Christ because they haven't put their trust in the only begotten Son of God. And so, in order for you to be doing acts of goodness and righteousness, you have to know who Jesus is, unless you're just doing it for self-centered gain. Apart from Christ, good works are empty actions. Why? Because they do not fulfill the righteousness of God. Unless you know Jesus as Savior. You see, Jesus talks about heaven, eternal life here. Which is given freely to all who believe. John 6, 47, truly, truly. When Jesus says truly, truly, it's amen, amen. He's saying, hey, this is the clearest and truest promise that I give. A promise on top of a promise. He who believes has eternal life. The moment you believe in Jesus... You have eternal life. It's not something you have to wait until you die. Every one of you that is in here right now has eternal life. Meaning you don't have to wait. As soon as you die, you are with Him in heaven. Amen? You've been sealed already by the promise on the cross and His resurrection. You have eternal life. He speaks of this earthly kingdom for those who have lived as a disciple and studying His Word and living by it, as 2 Timothy 2.12 also says in Revelation 20, verse 6. That's what he's saying. Hey, I have for those that are living for me, that have studied my Word and living by my Word, I'm giving you this earthly kingdom. The problem is when we assume that everyone that says they're a Christian has to be living for Jesus. Because we know that's not the case. In fact, Luke chapter 15, the parable points out that a son can stray, can't they? As we talked about a couple weeks ago, we all know a, a, a prodigal, don't we? Maybe you've experienced a prodigal in your life, or maybe you are a prodigal. But that doesn't mean that you are not saved just because you have turned away and you're struggling in sin. Believers can struggle in sin. Luke 15 points that out the entire chapter. The sheep is still the shepherd's sheep. And what he does is he safely corrals the other ones into a safe place. For safe onlooking, for safe pasture, and he goes to find the other sheep, the one that's missing, the one that strayed away. The coin was the woman's coin. She spent her day looking for it and sweeping the house, but it wasn't any less her coin just because it was lost, just because it was under some dirt, just because it was in the muck. Oh, but when she finds it, she celebrates. The son is not the father's, you know, isn't divorced from the father, even though he wants to be. You read Luke 15 the actions of the son is, a, is that of a son that has divorced his parents. What does he do? He goes away. He says, Dad, I can't wait until you die. Give me my inheritance now. And then he goes off to a far away land to be with people that do not know God. And it says he squanders his life in a terrible way of living. He spends his dad's fortune. He spends his inheritance to where he has nothing left. And he becomes a pig farmer. So he separates himself from his father, his parents his inheritance, and he separates himself from his God because being a pig farmer, now he was unholy. But when the father is sitting there washing his hands or, or whatever it might be, I mean, in, in my own picture, and it's good to illustrate in your mind sometimes, you can kind of imagine the dad had his routine, Right? Every morning maybe he would grab his cup of tea because back then they had tea, they didn't drink coffee. Poor guys. <laughs> grab his cup of tea and he's, he's just kind of glancing towards where he watched his son last leave. And you could kind of imagine that this one day he's doing that same routine as he's looking out, seeing that horizon, and he sees the figure of his son, and he kind of doesn't believe it. It, it, In his mind, he's thinking, no, this is just me making it up, and so what does he do? He rushes out, it says in Scripture, that he rushes out to meet his son. Why? Because he's half not believing what he's seeing, and he's half afraid that if he doesn't run out and grab his son, his son will change his mind and turn back. And it says that the father falls down at the son and he begins to cry and embrace his son and the son says, Father, I'm not worthy. And his father says to his servants, Go kill a fattened calf. We're going to have a party for my son has returned. And grab a ring and put it on him. Grab that signet ring because I claim him even though he rejected me. You see, that is the story of a believer not getting lost in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And so Jesus is assuring us in our life that we cannot get lost. In fact, John chapter 10 tells us that he holds us in his hands. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they know me and I hold them in my hand. It's talking about protection. And he says, oh, and, and, and they can't slip out and no one can take them out of my hand because I and the Father are one. So it's foolishness for us to think that just because a a person is is living a, a life in dissipation that they've lost their salvation. The other problem is when we assume that everyone that lives upstanding lives and doing good things are actually believers. So really, in actuality, we don't know Right? We really don't know because that's between a person and God, their salvation. So we shouldn't assume anything. We should just live life as if every chance is a chance to reach people for Christ. Amen? It's the old age debate, right? It's the old age debate that started in Jesus' time. Because there's people that follow Him but don't know Him as Savior... And there's people that follow know him as Savior, but don't follow him. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16, but hold your place also in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 16, we see this discussion that's taking place as Jesus and his disciples are walking along. Matthew chapter 16, looking at verses 13 and 14, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said to him, Some say John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. But still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus is walking along with his followers and he says, Who do the people say that I am? You know, what's the chatter about me that's out on the street? And in looking at the answers, you see a trend. Listening to what they start saying the people have been talking about, you see a trend. And you'd see the same thing today, wouldn't you? If we took a poll. If we went outside and we started asking people in the mall or on the street who is Jesus, they'll start saying, oh, Jesus is an example of how to live, right? I've heard that one a million times. Jesus was a good person. Jesus was a prophet. That's what Muslims call him. They just say he was a prophet of God, right? And that's what's taking place here. You are one of the prophets, or you are a good person like John the Baptist was. That's what they're trying to put Jesus in this box of. Jesus is a godly man, a good teacher, a prophet. These are the same words that were said back then that would be said today. People then and people now consider Jesus a good teacher. They consider him a prophet or a holy man. But they fail to see Jesus for who he is. You see, the problem with these statements... The problem with these statements, if Jesus is a prophet, Jesus is a good person, Jesus is a holy man, then it makes him a mad person. It makes him a madman. Because that's not who Jesus claimed he was. You can't be a good person and be a madman or a liar. Let's take a look. In John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus is claiming to be God. In John 8, 58, when the, when the Pharisees are pressuring Jesus and trying to understand who he is, and are you the Messiah, are you this, are you that, and they're just coming at Jesus, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He makes the definitive statement. I am, E me. He's saying, I am the self-existing one. The one that, Abra- that, that Moses spoke to in the burning bush. Remember G- God's words as Moses came up to the burning bush? He says, who shall I say that is sending me? And he says, say the I am that I am. That's what Jesus is claiming right here. I am that self-existing one. I am Yahweh. You see, Jesus claimed to be Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God. Jesus can't be a good teacher. He can't be a good prophet or a godly person if he's an insane liar, right? He's either who he claimed to be, God in flesh, the Messiah, or he isn't. If Jesus isn't God, then he can't be a good teacher. If Jesus isn't God, then he can't be a godly person. If Jesus isn't God, then he can't be a prophet. So that just means one option Jesus is who he claimed to be. Amen? Because if he is God, then he is to be revered and hailed on high. Amen? That means just when we're singing, it doesn't matter what we're singing, we need to be arms lifted just like Vinny's little boy that was up here with the little spotlight. It was so adorable. He's just spinning around in circles singing. It was adorable. We need to be like that with childlike faith grabbing onto our Savior. Amen? And that's what He's telling us here. He's saying, what do the people call me? What do you call me? Because you should call me Savior and Lord. You see, too many people see Jesus as just an identity. They go around and they say, I'm a Christian, and that's the identity that they relate relate to. But do you know who Jesus is through an identity? No. Others, they look at Jesus as as a game show host. It's kind of like, Let's make a deal, right? They, they, they go around, I promise Jesus, I promise I'll do this if you do this. I remember as a kid doing that. I remember just praying to the Lord and saying, man, I didn't, I didn't study for this test. But if you change the answers or just put them in my head, I will live for you. But Jesus doesn't work that way. He's not somebody to be bartered with. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord on high. Amen? And then again, to some people, he's just a get-out-of-hell-free pass. And they don't want to have anything to do with him. He died, you believe, and end his story. And yes, that, he, he offers forgiveness freely. But he died to bring you into relationship. He wants a relationship. It's just he's a gentleman and doesn't force himself on you. But friends, Jesus is so much more than just a genie in a bottle that you rub for a good wish. He's much more than just a get out of hell free pass. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be Lord. He wants to be Rabbi. He wants to take you into meaningful relationships so you have a full understanding of who God is is amen and if you work at that relationship you'll see it that's what the rest of the passage in Matthew chapter 16 it takes place look at verses 15 and 16 he looked at them and he said but who do you say that I am you know Jesus has been working with them he's been teaching them he's been instructing them they've been following him right He's like, okay, I understand the crowds don't have it quite right. They just think I'm another rabbi. They just think I'm another lord. They just think I'm another instructor. But who who do you think that I am? Simon answered, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Mashiach. You are the Messiah, is what he's saying. The Son of the Living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Two very interesting things happened with Peter here. Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're you're the anointed Messiah. And second, he says, you are the Son of the living God. You are God in flesh. You are who you claim to be. Salvation comes from being in an intimate relationship and understanding that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's how you start the relationship. But the relationship is built and strengthened when you realize really who Jesus is. And what Peter is having is a, a moment of revelation in his life. Why? Because he's beginning to grow his understanding of who Jesus is. They've been following Jesus as anointed Messiah, but now he realizes, Jesus, you're much more than what I've been boxing you in. You know who had a moment like that is Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. If you would, just turn there, but we, we're not going to have time to read the entire passage. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, the prophet to all of Israel, he's been going around and saying all these different woes, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you Israel. Woe is declaring a judgment, woe is declaring a moment of pain that's coming. Woe is saying, hey, prepare yourself. And so all of a sudden, Isaiah, who's the prophet of Israel and been speaking all these woes, he's seen as a holy man, he comes and he says, hey, look, this, there's this day that I was, I was just sitting there and all of a sudden, listen to what he says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with his train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out of the temple and filling it with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is a moment, a moment of growth, a moment of understanding when you experience God not for who you want Him to be, but for who He truly is. And that's what Peter was having on that road. He was speaking to Jesus and he had that moment when he said, Jesus, you're not in my box. You're not just my Lord. You're not just my Savior. You're the God over all. Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, because you're growing in your knowledge of who I am. Blessed are you, Peter, because this wasn't revealed to you over time. This, this wasn't just something that you fell into, Peter. You're seeing it, you're living it, you're experiencing it. Understanding who Jesus is only comes through your eyes being open in the Spirit of God and growing in the knowledge of His Word. Amen? We need to pray. We need to pray that our eyes would be opened just like Isaiah. He looks and he says, Woe is me! I'm ruined! Not the people. Me! Because I thought I was good and I thought I was holy, but I'm empty without the Lord in my life. Family, you might know Jesus as your Savior and that assures you a place in eternity. But you will be empty In this life, if you do not know who he is as Lord. He wants a meaningful relationship with you. He wants you to sit at his feet as rabbi. He wants you to take in everything you can from him. That's what Jesus is making this point in Matthew 7. He says, hey, look, not everyone that has called me Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Take a look at verse 14. Let's go back. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 24, excuse me, not 14. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man. We'll stop there. not everyone who calls me Lord follows my word. A wise man heeds the instruction of God's word. And they build their life upon it. A wise person sees that their relationship with God is in His word. That their growth comes from Him. Jesus claimed to be the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that no one comes to the Father but through Him, in John 14, 6. So it suggests that if we want a meaningful life here on earth, if we want the way, if we want to learn the way, and if we want to know truth, we need to grow closer to Jesus, amen? We need to be following His word and His example. In Acts 4.12, Acts 4.12, it says this. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven That has been given among men by which you must be saved. This is a definitive statement that's given. There is no other person or name or individual that can save you, not even yourself. It's not by Allah, it's not by works. It's not by you. It's not by your pastor. It is by Jesus Christ you are saved. Amen? Amen. It is a person who is called Jesus. And we honor Him as Lord. Listen, Judas called Jesus Lord. The Pharisees and Sadducees called Him Lord. They called Him Rabbi. They even called Him Master but it was out of respect for His teaching and His status. It wasn't because they actually believed He was Savior. And they hadn't made a decision to follow in His footsteps as Lord. Gandhi followed Jesus' teaching. Many people say Jesus was the best human that lived and that we should follow His example. But that does not mean they have come to their brokenness realizing and recognizing that they need Him as Savior. I love this quote by J. Vernon McGee. He was a very smart man that could put things very simply. He once said, you can call Jesus Lord, but just make sure that you call Him Savior first. Jesus was making the point that a lot of good people, people that do good things, even follow Jesus' law of love, wouldn't be in eternity. Because to get to heaven requires belief in the only begotten Son of God. That he died for you and rose again. There's no amount of good works that can get you there, or good living that can get you there, or other people that can get you there, because Jesus said in His own words in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Because God didn't send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world, say it with me, might be saved by Him. He who believes is not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Not everybody that calls me Lord, Lord will enter into heaven. Church, we should consider it an honor to know him. Amen? We should consider it an honor to know Him as Savior and to grow in Him as Lord. That's what it means to follow. That's what it means to take His yoke and bear His burden. As He said in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29-30, He said, come and follow Me. Take My yoke, because My burden is light. And I am gentle and humble. Church, each one of you stands at a crossroad with a decision to make. Each one of us every day stands at a crossroad with a decision to make. Am I going to live for the Lord in this day? Or am I going to live for myself? Am I going to live like I know who Jesus is? Am I going to live my life like I know that my God, my Savior, is Lord and King of kings? Am I going to live like I know that He spoke the world into creation? Am I going to live in this moment knowing that my God is coming back and He's coming for me? Or am I going to live for myself as if I don't know those things? In Luke 9.23, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross daily. You're standing at that crossroad. And follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life, he'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. For what is it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits himself? Brothers and sisters, find your identity and your relationship in Christ. We can live moment by moment. David, he wrote a psalm completely speaking of the moment he had realizing who his God was and not forcing him to be who he wanted him to be. And in that moment he said, Who am I that the king of all the earth would look down upon me? Who am I that this one that spoke the worlds in creation and placed the stars in their position would even consider me. Brothers and sisters, that's a beautiful thing to be. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.